I tell you what, recording a podcast is thirsty business, which is why we are really excited to announce that this episode of Well and Good is brought to you by Clean Collective. Clean Collective are changing the premix game by producing a range of 100% clean vodka and gin RTDs that, would you believe, contain no sugar, no carbs, no preservatives, are gluten-free and use only natural ingredients. They are a premium alternative to your stock standard run-of-the-mill RTDs, are naturally sweetened and also bloody delicious, if you ask me. Available only from your local liquor store, so next time you're in, look out for the gorgeous white bottles and cans and give them a try. Hello, friends. How do you Hey, uh, today on the Potteroonie, we chat with an old friend of ours, um, uh, an incredible woman, Michelle Yandel, who's a nutritionist who encourages that you eat cake. Yep. Quite literally. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure she actually says those words in the podcast. I believe she does. And uh, it's uh, she, she's really cool. I love her approach to nutrition. Um, it's all about empowered eating, which is all about eating good food and not requiring requiring you to give up the things that you love. Yeah, and I feel like she's just refreshing, you know? Like, we, we look at how we feel when we eat, especially when we're eating something that we know isn't all that healthy. And Michelle has a really supportive approach, which is really awesome. This is a great listen for anyone with uh, insecurities about what they eat or anyone looking to implement a more sustainable, healthy diet or anyone trying to balance healthy eating with just a good bloody slice of cake, Mm. then this is the listen for you. So here's Michelle. Welcome, Michelle. Hi. Thank you. Oh, we're so excited to have you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on up from the Naki. Yeah. Good trip. Yeah. Karanaki Hardcore. Yeah. So (laughs) so we haven't seen you since um, we were down the Naki at the, was it the Total Health Explosion? That's the one. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I love the name. Total Health Explosion. And that would have been maybe two years ago, do you think? Yeah. Just over two years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. And so what have you been up to since then? Oh, gosh, it's been pretty busy, but all sorts. Um, We did organize another event, Well Fed, last year in in Taranaki, and that was really great. But other than that, just keep working in that health sphere and doing, um, you know, a few talks here and there. Not so much since the old COVID came along, but, you know, it's it's been busy, which I guess is really lucky. Mm. Totally. So, Michelle, you're a health and nutrition coach. That's right. Can you give us a bit of a background about how you um, fell into this field? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I used to be a school teacher uh, when I first moved to New Zealand from Canada, and it was just getting more and more stressed and decided at some point that I can't do this until I'm like 60 years old. I'll probably die young. Um, so <laughs> decided to look at something else. And health has been something that I've been interested in for as long as I can remember. I mean, I can remember being a young girl looking at nutrition textbooks just for fun, like just reading them in my room. Um, Didn't ever pursue it because I thought I'd have to have like chemistry majors and all sorts of things like that to be a dietitian and didn't really know a lot about it, never did pursue it. And so just sort of kept it on the the backside. And uh, yeah, then just started to investigate it again once I decided that teaching wasn't for me and, and got back into it. But like I say, I can just, I can't remember ever not being into health and wellness. And I don't know that it started off with good intentions. It was more because of the whole dieting and that sort of thing, but it has that experience has sort of brought me, you know, where I am today. So yeah, no regrets. Do you think that's a really common entry into the health and wellness thing of like kind of going far along the dieting 
kind of spectrum and then slowly kind of getting back a little bit of balance? Because it seems like quite a common thread that, that people hardcore diet and then they slowly find a bit more balance in the health and wellness industry and then they're passionate about helping other people. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it can vary in so many different ways. Some people might be just a little bit interested or done a few diets and then they get into health and wellness and actually get more hardcore and actually have a negative experience from that. Whereas most people eventually, I think, do find that happy middle ground. Um, some it takes a little bit longer than others, but yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people do get into that industry because they genuinely want to help people and that in turn then helps themselves to a certain extent. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah, because your philosophy is all about empowered eating. Yeah. Right? So can you explain what that is? Yeah. Um, to summarize it, I guess it's sort of a feeling great and eating cake is what I always say. Oh, so, I love that. <laughs> um, I just want people to be able to find that balance. So having come from a background of quite rigid rules around eating, you know, and not having that that peace of mind to be able to enjoy a piece of cake and just get over it. It was something that I battled for a long time. So the goal of empowered eating is to be able to help people to find that balance and teach them how to find that balance and also uh, really just learn to listen to their bodies again. So empowered eating is about tuning out all that outside noise, you know, the rules that you need to eat at this time and have six meals a day and no and eating after six and doing it. this, removing all of those, yeah, the, the guilt, the shame, the rules, and just learning to actually listen to what makes you feel good. Um, and giving you that power to go read something and go, oh, that sounds interesting. You can try it, but then, oh, that doesn't work. And then just move on, you know, rather than having external things structure how they eat all the time, which is what many on and off dieters sort of have experienced. I mean, some of them don't even, myself included at one point, didn't even know what hunger felt like because, you know, six meals a day and you're, you know, you're just sort of never really allowing yourself to feel hunger. But yeah, so it's ultimately just wanting people to feel good, but also be able to make peace with eating things that previously may have been forbidden um, because of dieting history. Yeah, and it's almost like it's giving power back to the person. Yeah. Because I think we've, we're so used to, uh, we want other people to tell us what we can eat and when to eat, what's off limits, what's not. And we feel like the professionals know best and <laughs> we just have to listen to what they tell us to, to do. But I guess your philosophy is around bringing the power back to the person so they can make their own Yeah, power choices. to the people. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I love but that. But to be fair, you know, I think it's okay to listen to the experts and get some um, some ideas and some, you know, to learn a little bit about, you know, what is great for our bodies and that sort of thing. But it's about using those as tools and not rules and sort of trying to find, you know, that happy middle ground that makes you feel great. And that may be, will probably be different to heaps of other people. So we're all pretty different. And that's how, you know, sort of that all or nothing approach doesn't work for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's um, a really cool thing you just said then about using um, tools rather than rules or looking at it as tools rather than rules. Because I think for me, I have found, I've tried out lots of different diets over the past. I now think that I have more of a balanced approach to my nutrition and, and it's more of about not just nutrition, but about the whole mm. psychology around it and about my total well-being and mm. how food fits into that. But like, um, you know, when I was trying out all these diets, I was thinking about them as rules and being very strict. And I thought this might be the one answer to everything. But now that I look back, I'm like, actually, you're right. Like, 
those those I probably can look at those um, times and periods when I was quite eating a strict diet as a tool that has helped me to mm. discover what foods worked best with my mm. body and to now be able to use those tools yeah you know here and there and look look back on that knowledge and use that in my balanced approach now yeah I love that I've seen you cooking pasta and various <laughs> yummies on your Instagram I'm like yeah awesome um I think that's great to to show that balance and variety to people as well and uh yeah and I really like what you said too about that that whole person and sort of finding what works for you and using a whole health approach because, you know, health is so much more, as you know, than just our body, you know, it's our mind and our communities and our fano and everything as well as all part of the pieces that make us well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really um, great way of looking at it, I think, because like we were pretty strict a few years ago in terms of paleo, like we'd eat pretty strict paleo like yep. even if we'd go out for dinner we'd kind of stick to the same yeah, same, same sort, sort of rules yeah. and now I feel like we've figured out that health is more about um well f- first of all what you do most of the time mm. rather than what you do some of the time but also it's about being happy and playful and doing things you enjoy and like community and you're sort totally. of on the same same page with that too, yeah, right and how yeah. that that can have such a profound effect on on your health that like if you have a bit of pasta or cake or whatever <laughs> you know there's no shame around it you can just fit it into the whole yeah. kind of outlook yeah and so maybe using some of that nutrition advice to find that most of the time you know and just knowing that one piece of cake is not going to heal or harm you or do anything it's just cake and especially it's not, it's not believe it or not it actually <laughs> tastes really yummy too and you know it's in your eating you know usually you're having cake either in a cafe with friends or you're having a celebration and so you've got so much more many different levels there of of health and well-being because you it's such a joyful experience so I call things like that soul food is sometimes too because I think they are really important parts of a healthy diet I mean if you don't like cake don't eat cake but if you do yeah. Or like it. it could be pizza it or be. whatever your thing is. Everybody's got a thing. Yeah. You know, like like everybody's got a tr- traditionally unhealthy sort of, mm. I say that in quotations, food that that's their little vice and yours yeah. is obviously cake. Yeah. 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 You're yeah. a fan yeah. of cake. That's one of many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, me too. So but what about – um? You know, if you obviously you can't just yeah you can't eat pizza every day and you can't have cake every every meal. Um, so where do you draw the line with what makes you feel good and then what's potentially going to be impacting your health in a negative way? Yeah, well, I mean, technically we we could eat pizza every day. There'd be no moral issue with that. If somebody wants to eat pizza all day, they can. But you would get to a point where potentially that's not you, you don't feel so great, or you know, you're a lot of people when they start. Uh, I guess, applying this unconditional permission and allowing themselves to eat whatever they want. They may go through a phase where they just eat junk because they shouldn't use the word junk, but they've just, they have just withdrawn it for so long that they finally get a hold of it. And it's, you know, it's madness. They want to eat it all the time, but that wears off. You get bored of that. I mean, you really would. It's, It's sort of, it's often referred to as habituation. If you have cake every day, you're going to get to a point where you're like, it's not going to have the same lure. I'm just going to, you know, just work on, look at something else. You know, maybe you start to go, actually, I start to crave some veggies, you know, and that's whole that part of listening to your body. So you get to a point where you're like, man, I've had enough pizza. I had pizza every single day, all day for like a week now. It's actually quite, 
you know, gross. Yeah. <laughs> so your body will tell you when enough is enough. You're not going to enjoy eating that way. I mean, you get to a point where you just get tired of it. Mm-hmm. And you do. I honestly believe, and I've seen over and over again, you do start to crave the things that your body needs and you do start to want more veggies. I mean, I know if I go and I'm traveling and I'm not getting enough veggies, I do. I start to crave them. So I think your body's pretty clever and it'll let you know when sort of enough is enough and all right, let's time to get a bit of balance in here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially when you are eating well and you're on a bit of a health journey and you're starting to introduce like predominantly whole foods and you're feeling good and you're moving and doing a bit of exercise, then I feel like you're so that feeling of feeling good is so great Mm. that you don't want to eat that food that much because it starts to really affect you. You notice it more too. Absolutely. Because it's the same thing with us as like being on on holiday or like having like a week or two if we eat kind of a bit differently or just eating a lot of pizza or cake or like after those two weeks, I'm like craving to just going back to how we normally eat because I want to feel good and energetic and 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 happy again so yeah yeah, I feel like it's a good spiral in terms of that yeah you learn a lot and it's sort of when you you know remove the guilt and the shame it's more of a learning experience and so you're turning guilt into regret and regret's really different regrets like oh I stayed up too late so I feel really tired today I probably shouldn't have done that but you don't call yourself a bad person because you stayed up too late you know you just go I'll just go to bed earlier and when you take that guilt and shame away from our eating habits it just becomes you know learning experience or curiosity you're like oh when I eat that way for a week I actually feel really gross so maybe I won't do that. So yeah, I think um, we are, our bodies are a lot cleverer than we think. And when we give them the opportunity to sort of tune out all those rules and that noise and do a bit of uh, experimentation and exploration, we do sort of know what makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. And it'll be different, different for everybody. Yeah. And you have um, talked a little bit about kind of ancestral eating. Yeah. Um, Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So um, one of the biggest things would be that that model of health that I just mentioned really briefly, but this idea that health is more than just the body, it's body, mind, spirit, and heart. And that concept came to me uh, ages, probably a few years ago now, when I was looking back at my ancestors, which are Mi'kmaq in Canada, and looking I at the medicine wheel. The same, by the way. Oh, yes. really? Yeah, yep, because may not my, my, look like it. my grandma <laughs> is from Nova Scotia, and my, my dad did a bit of... Um, uh, like ancestry work and found wow. out that we're descendants of Holy the same. Holy hell, we might be like long distant cousins. I know, <laughs> how good <is> that? <laughs> they, um, but they've got this model called the medicine wheel, which many indigenous um, cultures over in North America do. And it, it's used for so many different teaching uh, things from everything from the four directions, the four stages of life to what it needs to be um, a healthy human. And so the idea is that body, mind, spirit, and heart. Those are the four key areas that make us healthy and well and human. And if one's out of whack, the other ones are out of whack as well. And so um, that sort of compass, I guess, that wheel is really the hub of everything at the moment for business-wise, my own personal life. Um, and in New Zealand, we have Te Whare Tapafa, which is very similar, only it's a house. But this, again, this body, mind, spirit, health, family, community, all of that thing's all intertwined. So with ancestral eating, it's less to do with what 
you eat and more like around how and about that, you know, community aspect. And, you know, food had to be functional for our ancestors. They had a lot of work to do. (laughs) And so they had to feel good enough to be able to do that. So I think about that a lot. I think about with, you know, more like how did my ancestors eat as opposed to what did they eat? Because a lot of those foods don't exist. To be honest, it's sort of a lot different. So we can't eat exactly like our ancestors eat, but we can eat in a similar way. And, you know, I guarantee that my ancestors wouldn't have turned up cake or pizza had it been presented to them. (laughs) Way way too many um, calories in that, you know. (laughs) But they probably wouldn't eat all the time because they'd start to feel a little bit differently. So. Yeah, it's more around looking at how my ancestors eat, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also, there was a, a gentleman doing a tour around New Zealand, Bossy Ducharme, and he was from back home. And he was going around teaching uh, Indigenous peoples around the world just about his experience to going back to eating as close to his ancestral diet as he could. And it was just really interesting. And he was talking about that journey and, you know, how to find similar foods to what his ancestors would have eaten. Obviously, they've changed heaps. But yeah, it was really neat just to see his experience. And he talked a lot about, you know, especially around around meat and and the sacredness of meat and how it wasn't wasted and all of that. And I thought that was all really, um, really awesome, you know, stuff Mm. to to read about. But yeah, so it is is more around that how rather than the what, because the what changes so much. And depending where you are in the world, it's going to be so different as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And and I guess like at the same time, they probably wouldn't have a philosophy of like, we only eat meat and sorry, we don't eat, you know, yeah. fruit because it's got too much fructose and this and yeah. that. Like, I'm sure it was more yeah. about, Oh, like, sorry, it's six o'clock. Yeah. I can't <laughs> eat now. That's right. after six. My intermittent fast has started now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I guess we, we tend to just overcomplicate it a little bit sometimes, mm. don't we? Yeah, just yes. really, you know, deep dive into it when sometimes it's just about you know what you feel like eating and what's available at the time if you're hungry maybe have something to eat yeah good point too because it has it's so confusing like people are actually coming to me and not knowing what to eat and that's like a human basic that's our right you know we should know what to eat Mm -hmm. but we've lost that we can't mm. tell it for ourselves anymore. A lot of us say. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Or, or at what times, you know, it's like, oh, shall I be having breakfast? Shall I be having a yeah. small dinner? Or shall I be having this? And yeah. it's sort of like maybe if yeah. you're hungry, you know. Yeah. Oh, I think about it like, you know, I guess um, for lack of a better analogy, it's like having to go to the toilet. Like you don't go, oh, I better not go. I just went an hour ago. <laughs> That's too um, soon. You know, way too soon. This is irrational. I should not need to go to the toilet now. But we do it with food, right? We're like, yeah. oh, how can I be hungry again? I just ate two hours ago. That's I can't be hungry. I'm not going to eat. And, you know. Mm. I think we've completely lost touch with um, with that side of things. Like, I remember when I first started um, experimenting with fasting, and it was only then I, I think I just when I back in, when I first started, I was like I t- decided to fast until lunchtime, and mm-hmm. up until that point, this was probably about ten years ago. Up until that point, I'd had breakfast every single day that I could remember, and so I found it really hard. I didn't make it till lunchtime. I made it till like 11, 11 a.m. and I was like, oh my god, I've got to eat. Um, <laughs> But then, but my experience with fasting has made me realize that I predominantly used to eat when I, it was habitual. I used to eat when I, like, when I think, when I thought that I was hungry or right. in anticipation of, oh, I'm probably going to get hungry later, so I better eat now. Yeah. Um, but really, uh, yeah, it made me realize that I, I wasn't eating when I was actually hungry. Yeah. And I probably hadn't actually 
really felt what hunger was like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I couldn't remember actually yeah. being hungry, you know. And food tastes so much better when we're hungry. It's like the ultimate seasoning. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And do you have um, any advice ar- around babies? Because I find that like I've got a quite a flexible approach with my own diet, mm. but with Milo, um, I've al- almost kind of developed this like fear of giving him something that isn't like perfect. <laughs> yeah. mm. And and I feel like that's quite a common thing that, you know, like we're lucky enough to be, be able to, to feed him really good organic food. Um, but at, at the same time, it's created this mental thing in my mind where I'm like, oh, that can't have sugar or like, oh, you know, like what if he, you know, has something mm. that has preservatives in it or, or numbers or something. It's a, yeah. it's a similar sort of mentality that you had probably at um, previous stages in your life when you were following strict diets for yourself, right? And then yeah. now you're having yeah. that same feeling yeah. for Milo. Yeah. So yeah. how yeah. do you kind of, like, is that just the same same sort of thing where you have to just do like most of the time and just kind of let yeah. go a little bit? Yeah, I or? mean, there, there's a great, um, uh, there's a woman, her name is Ellen Sattler, and she talks a lot about that. I'm no expert in, in children. I don't mm. only have cats, which I'm perfectly fine with. <laughs> Love but, cats. <laughs> but, um, you know, she talks a lot about this division of responsibility and, and not so much when they're babies, but as, as he gets older and it's this idea that it's up to the, the parent to supply the food and then up to the child to choose what to eat amongst those, you know, those foods. But, you know, we, it's definitely something we want to be careful around to want to let children experience all foods so that they can make those decisions. Cause children are like the ultimate intuitive eaters. Like they are, they know when they're hungry, they know when they've had enough, they could get exposed, like intuitive eating, um, children who eat intuitively, like you give them a a brownie, they might have a couple nibbles and go, that's enough and walk off and play and do whatever. Like they are actually really in tune to what makes them feel good. And the more sort of, I mean, obviously we're, we're providing them with food, but I know that the more structure and rules that we give them around food, the less they're able to determine that themselves and that intuitive thing. So, you know, absolutely. Like, you know, at home, you want to give them lots of nutritious food. It's going to help them develop. But as they get older, there's going to be more opportunities for him to explore and taste different things. And it's sort of really important to have that peace around food so that it doesn't become a a forbidden thing that, you know, ends up being put on a pedestal and then potentially leading to problems down the road. But, you know, for now, I mean, just... You know, mm. just don't worry. Just yeah. don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah, just relax. Yeah, just I'm going to just relax. <laughs> yeah, you're chill. <laughs> just <laughs> like that. Just like that. But yeah. no, it is hard because you said you've had these beliefs for yourself in the past and potentially they still linger sometimes today around certain things. And I mean, I know for me, I'm not perfect and I still will eat something and go, ooh, like maybe I shouldn't eat that or whatever, you know, or maybe I t- just had pasta yesterday. Maybe I shouldn't have pasta again today. Now these thoughts still, you know, surface. And so it's pretty common that you would have those, those thoughts still coming up with, with him as well. And, um, but you know, provide him with as much nutritious food as possible. And just if opportunities come up for him to taste test something, look at it as an experiment, see if he likes it. He may not even like it, you know, Mm. he might find it too sweet or be like, Oh, he might love it. But if we sort of, um, forbid it, it becomes a bit more desirable. Oh, yeah, that's the thing about kids, eh? As soon as you're like, no, you can't have this, they're like, I really want that food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas yeah. it's like, whatever. And on the inside, you might be going, oh, my God. But, yeah. you know, he'll be able to go, 
yeah, I don't really like this. Yeah. But you wouldn't know that if, you know, and even with forbidden foods, sometimes we think we want them as adults as well. And then we like get them and we're like, oh my God, this is so amazing. But when we actually have that unconditional permission, often we'll find out, actually, that doesn't taste as good as I thought it did. But, you know, I can have it whenever I want. Do I actually like it? Like that chalk is actually really rubbish compared to this other one or whatever. So you just learn a lot more when yeah. you open it up. To, to experiment and try things, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to go back to the ancestral approach to eating. So is it kind of like, is there kind of one blanket kind of approach to for everyone in terms of like basically everyone's ancestors probably ate um, predominantly um, plants and then some meats or, you know, maybe some nuts or something like that? Like is that kind of like the overall kind of thing or like are some – uh, cultures more is there more specific with what sort of nutrition they should have or yeah I mean I know Cliff Harvey talks a lot about that and how your your ancestry shapes which foods make you feel the best and uh, you know like how some cultures might have eaten a lot more starchy carbs than others and so potentially their descendants are, are better off with more starchy carbs but again it's all about sort of finding what what works for you um, I know like for example uh, the Mi'kmaq in, Can in Nova Scotia ate a lot of wild rice because it was growing there, you know, totally not paleo, but, you know, mm. <laughs> it was growing, it was natural, they cooked it, they ate it, that sort of thing. So um, I think, honestly, I believe that as a species, yeah, there are foods that are at the bottom line, sort of what we need to, th to thrive and to feel good. And a variety of that's those whole natural foods is going to make create a baseline for us. That's our most of the time. And that, you know, what different percentages of different foods make you feel, of those foods make you feel better depends on the person as well. So, I mean, you know if eating heaps of potatoes makes you feel lethargic or if it makes you feel energized, it really is up to that individual person. But that baseline of your most of the time being a variety of whole natural foods. I actually don't like the word whole because we, you know, process foods all, all the time. But natural foods, you know, foods that we, we recognize, but yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something that's, that's individual, but mm. we all know we feel better when we get vegetables in our lives. <laughs> so true. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We're, like what's a good starting point for someone who wants to become more in touch with their body and how they're feeling when they eat foods and, yeah. and yeah, because I, I, I imagine lots of people probably would eat food and probably don't even realize the way it's making them feel. Yeah. And um, yeah, how, where, do, where do you start with that? Yeah, I mean, where awareness is where we start and it's getting people to actually to stop before they grab something to eat and actually check in first, am I hungry? And that question opens up so many avenues. So it could be, yes, I'm my tummy's growling, I haven't eaten for a while, I'm definitely hungry. So then, you know, you can eat something or it's, I'm not hungry, um, but I still want to eat that. And then you're looking at, well, why? What's going on there? Is it, you know, just because I'm at a party and it's a celebration and there's cake and I want to eat it, no emotions attached? Or is it because I'm really stressed out or I'm tired or I'm angry at my partner or whatever it may be? And so just that simple question, am I hungry, is something that I try to get everybody to do because it does, it opens up all of those questions. And then the sort of sitting when we eat and actually 
eating, I hate, I don't like the word mindfully because people think it means they have to chew their food like 35 times or something, but sort of distraction free. If you can just sit there with your food, take the phone away, you know, keep the kids away. No, can't do that. But you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) If you can eat it as distraction free as possible, then you can start to actually go, do I like these textures? Do I like the flavor? How do I feel? Am I full? Is it satisfying? Do I wish I'd gotten something else, you know, so just paying attention to your food, such a simple thing, but it will, it'll teach you so much. And then, yeah, pay attention afterwards, like a couple hours later, how do I, you know, just notice, you don't need to get a fancy journal or anything, but just start to notice. So those sort of three stages will open up so many answers for you. So, you know, that, that, am I hungry, the tuning in, the eating with an attention, and then the paying attention afterwards as well. I mean, if everybody did that, I think they would learn heaps about their eating habits. Yeah. And what feels good. And so how long on average um, does food take to make you feel something? Like, for example, if you wake up and you've got a bit of an upset tummy or something, could that, do you think, okay, well, that's from like the dinner I had last night or is that the lunch I had yesterday or... Something you had a week ago. Yeah. How, <laughs> how can you yeah. kind of pinpoint what it is? It would have to be a matter, I think, of looking at patterns. It's going to be different for everybody. It really is. So somebody, um, it could be immediately, you know, they feel really bloated and they feel really uncomfortable or it could be like the next day, like you say, they just feel really tired. I, I get quite food hungover for lack of a better word if I go out sometime and I eat too much next day I'm like it's like a full-blown alcohol hangover so I can sort of know that it was something I ate the night before what it was who knows but you start to look for patterns and it does you know it does take some time though Mm. Um, and that detective work can sort of come over time that that mindfulness and just the knowing most of the time we'll know most of the time we'll know what it was we're like oh you know that KFC probably wasn't the best (laughs) idea (laughs) you know (laughs) But other times it might take a little bit more, like Mm -hmm. detective work, yeah. Look, I'll admit, Art and I aren't the biggest drinkers, but boy do we make an exception when it comes to Clean Collective's range of 100% clean vodka and gin RTDs. Yeah, these drinks are completely free from sugar, carbs and preservatives and they're super yum. So they really tick all of our boxes, don't they Matt? They sure do. Clean Collective was actually founded by two young Kiwis, Holly and Dan, and all their products are made right here in New Zealand. So by choosing to drink Clean Collective, you're not only making a better choice for your body, but are supporting local at the same time. Win-win. They have a range of five delicious flavours, including a brand new pear and elderflower with vodka, and are available in four packs of bottles or large 12 packs of cans. Whether you're heading out to a family barbecue or planning a big night out, they've got you covered. You can purchase them from your local liquor store and you'll usually find them in the fridges alongside the other premixes. They're the ones in the crisp white packaging. I hear they're also the official drink of the Rhythm and Vines Festival, which is very cool also. Oh, love that. So be sure to give them a follow at Clean Collective Official on Instagram and Facebook or head to their website www.cleancollective.co for more information. Cheers to drinking clean. And so you have a um, eight-week empowered eating course. Yeah. So does that help you start to become more in tune with your body and what yeah. does that involve? Yeah, that's that's the point. So it's all around that awareness and helping people to, to tune in and to ask those powerful questions. And then it gets into um, more around the, you know, the uh, – 
emotional eating and if you're not hungry then what's going on and then we get into gentle nutrition but I save that for the end because I want people to learn to listen to their bodies first and then we can talk a little bit about those foods that fuel and make you feel really great and we also spend a bit of time on why um, it's not your fault if you've done diets before and you haven't been able to stick to them and I spend a whole week on that because it is there's a lot of um, beating ourselves up over it and thinking it's my willpower and you know they fail 97% of the time like if that were birth control we would not be buying that we <laughs> <laughs> like it's um it's it pretty work. shocking statistic i'm going to offer this diet to you 97 chance it's not going to work but hey <laughs> but we still we go and we do it over and over and over again so i do spend a lot of time on that with in the course just about retraining our brain that you know it's not your fault you don't have a flaw if you didn't stick to that keto diet or whatever it may be um it just didn't work for you. Yeah. And you're in the 97% of yeah. people that it doesn't work for. <laughs> exactly. Which yeah. I guess makes you feel a bit more comfortable, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. You're in the minority. I mean, the majority. <laughs> <laughs> what about, so I quite like, um, yeah, I quite like using diets at times, you know, like I'll maybe go for a week where I'm going to be strict paleo because it makes me feel a bit better. And I like to have the guidelines there. Yeah. Um, and at times I've done uh, like a, a keto diet, I did, you know, for a couple of months, maybe yeah. three months when I was working up to doing an event, um, a multi-sport event, and I wanted to eat, mm. be fat adapted for it. Like, do you see a place for diets in that sort of space? Yeah, it's all about the intention, right? And I think when it's more of a, comes from a, I, I hate my body, so I'm going to go on a diet so I can be smaller, then that's, that can create some problems and a lot of emotional attachment. When it's more around, I'm going to experiment and I'm going to play around with this and sort of it's that, whether that guilt and shame creeps up. So, you know, if you were eating paleo for say a week and cause you were, you know, going to be training or whatever. And during that week, somebody offered you some birthday cake and you ate it. I mean, are you going to lose sleep over that? Are you going to be really upset over that? Or you're just going to get back to paleo the next day, you know? So that's sort of the difference. So if you're just doing it because you want to, and you want to learn from it and you want to experiment, go for it. But most of the people I work with are doing it because they don't like themselves and they feel they need to change their body and they beat themselves up when they don't stick to it a hundred percent or when they fail. Like there's so many negative emotions. Whereas I assume in your case, it was like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, this is a learning experience. Oh, this is cool. You know, but rather than like, what's wrong with me? I had birthday cake. I'm a failure. You know, all of those mm. things that come up. So that's the big difference. And I think that people can eat whatever they want. We're grownups. Like if you want to eat keto, eat keto. If you want to eat paleo, eat paleo, but just don't beat yourself up if you can't do it and it's not for you. And that's the difference. Yeah. So with, with emotional eating, do you find that people like, what is, what are some of the main causes of emotional eating from some of the people that you work with? Yeah. So often I would say that the, that real emotionally charged eating, that's like that one biscuit that turns into 10 or like eating a block of Whitakers in the car outside the supermarket or whatever <laughs> it may be. Not that I have experience with either, but you know, it's um, very emotionally charged and the two biggest reasons for that is, is deprivation and restriction. So they believe that they shouldn't be eating that food. They think this is my last chance. I'm going to, I'm not going to go right back on the diet tomorrow. So I'm just going to go hard and eat it all because tomorrow's a different day. And so they've been restricting and they see this food as bad and naughty. And so when they get a chance, it's like, 
well, I've already blown it. I might as well keep going. And so <laughs> they just keep going. Um, on the other hand, you know, the emotional eating itself is obviously trying to distract or comfort. So um, I'm really sad. Um, chippies make me feel good. I'm going to have some chippies and it's going to distract me from my sadness, you know, but ultimately the sadness will linger, you know, you might feel good for a little while, but it's going to come back. So that's why it's really important with emotional eating to figure out what the trigger is. Cause again, it's going to be different for everybody. For me, boredom, like that's a big one. When I was little, I used to remember my mom saying to me, you're not hungry, you're bored. Cause I'd be like standing in front of the fridge with the fridge door open, staring into it, <laughs> yeah. staring into the abyss. And, and true enough, I wasn't hungry. I was bored. So then we'd go and play cards or we'd go and do something, you know? So yeah, it's those, those triggers. I mean, there's just physical triggers, there's emotional triggers, there's cognitive triggers that's like the ones that if I eat this I won't be able to stop well it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you just end up eating you know you're going okay well I'm basically giving myself permission not to stop because it happens every time so there's so much to it I actually did like a hour and a half long class last night just on emotional eating because it's such a big thing so complex yeah but also you know I think a lot of people know what their triggers are if they take the time to think about it and if you know if you're sad and if sadness is a common emotion that's causing you to eat obviously food's not going to be the answer because you're not hungry so you can't solve it with food so it's you know maybe you need to call somebody maybe you need to go and talk to a therapist maybe you need some help you know there's heaps of free resources for people in New Zealand especially to get some support and that's going to be the problem solver not the mm. chips. And, but, you know, to be fair, there's nothing wrong with emotional eating. We all, you know, babies will eat to soothe and, you know, we all do it. And that's totally fine. It's just, again, that feeling afterwards, like I'm broken. There's something wrong with me because I keep doing this. Mm. That's a long answer. but No, no. It's and, and I think so many people will be able to relate to it because there's, for some reason, there's so much shame around food mm. or or like binge eating or mm. it it feels so embarrassing like I remember when I was living in London I was only like 21 or something and um and it wasn't like a hugely great time f- for me I was like quite lonely I was isolated I didn't really have a lot of friends and I remember I just got really into the gym and healthy eating I said the gin <laughs> well <laughs> I mean, it could have been, but it was gym with an M. Yeah. And I I got into like great shape, like best shape I've ever been in. I had n- no fat or whatever. What, what was your What was your healthy eating? My healthy eating was I basically had no carbs. Like like I was afraid of carbs and I was afraid of sugar and I was really really psycho about a whole food um, diet. Like to the point where yeah. I didn't want to go out for dinner with friends or because I was terrified of like eating the wrong thing. If you look um, back on it now, would you still call it healthy eating? No. Oh my god, it was. I was the most unhealthy I've ever been in my life. Like I remember walking home from the tube and then I got into this binge eating cycle and I'd like buy a whole packet of yeah. like, cookies. And I'd eat it, the, the whole packet, like, by the time I'd even got home. It was, like, a 10-minute walk. Yeah. And, like, I remember just get, getting home and shutting myself in my room and just, like, crying because I was, like, yeah. can't believe I did that. Like, oh, I'm so stupid and, like, this is going to, like, make yeah. me fat and do all, all of this. It was awful. Yeah. My skin was bad and I was riddled with anxiety. And yeah. it's, like, and I think it all comes down to just that sense of like loneliness yeah. and like feeling sad and isolated and control. Yeah. Whereas I feel like if I had had people around me and like if I was honest with them and said like, hey, I'm going through this, yeah. 
they would have all been there for me and understanding. And like if someone came to me and said that, I wouldn't be like, ooh, you sicko, you know, I'm like <laughs> stop eating so much. I would, I would completely yeah, understand. <laughs> but, but I feel like there's just so much shame around it. You feel yeah. so embarrassed. Like, oh, my God, I'm the only person that that, totally. that does this, like sits, sits in my car and, yeah, as you're saying, yeah. eats a whole block of chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like super common. Oh, like you just described, you know, probably half the women out there and, and men, it's getting more and more common for men and I think that comes for for women more so in the past it was all around that body image and that sort of that look that we were supposed to put out there and you know if we started to put on weight it was a very scary thing we felt we were a failure and so that's when that restriction would come or like you say if our life is somewhat out of control or it's not how we want it we might try to control it with food mm. and then you know that's another reason as well and that just leads like you say that that restriction so we restrict 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 and then we binge and we have emotional eating and we let go and then we feel really crap about it and we cry in our room <laughs> and then we get back on the bandwagon the next day and the cycle continues yeah. and that's the cycle that I try to get people off because it just keeps going over and over because I say if if you're not hungry to begin with food's not the solution you no. know it's it's finding what is the issue and like so in your case it was you're lonely and you didn't really like how things were so mm. I can I can control this so I'll control it yeah and it's just like what's the point of being a certain weight, like if you're so unhappy and you have no friends, you know what I mean? It's sort of like, oh, but cool, I'm in really shape great. at home by myself, you know, like it doesn't matter. It's yeah. so, it's just that controlling mindset, isn't it? It's, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really interesting. So, so where do you start then with someone who is an emotional eater and like where can someone, maybe someone who's listening who might be thinking, hey, maybe I'm an emotional eater. Yeah. Where can they start to sort of um, address that? Yeah, again, that that question, am I hungry? Because if you're not, that's when you can start to look at the triggers, you know, in looking at what's going on. Look at that. Think about that that wheel, you know, what's out of balance? Is it that I'm lonely? Is it that work's really stressful? Um, is it that, you know, I'm really stressed because of COVID, I tend to be eating more, whatever it may be. But you, when you can pause you start to learn a lot more. So we often eat in a really unconscious state. We just eat because we eat and because it's there and we're not really thinking about it. But if we can bring in that mindfulness and that attunement, that's where we start. And that's going to take practice because we're so used to just grabbing and not thinking. Um, I used to have a little uh, uh, magnet. I think Cliff and Bella still have it on their fridge, but it says, if if I'm not hungry, what I need's not in here. And it's like... <laughs> Right on there, but it's nice. You brilliant. Just, yeah. You just need that automatic, that something to help you pause because we're not used to pausing, right? Mm -hmm. And again, you always have the right to eat, even if you're not hungry, because we don't want it to turn into like the I don't eat when I'm not hungry diet. You know, we just want to bring in that awareness and that's, mm -hmm. you know, give you that, say, get the, the power back. Yeah. And, and so some, some quite large factors when it comes to nutrition are things like time and money. So what are some tips that you could give for, like especially in the post-COVID world, mm. a lot of people are on a really tight budget whether they've lost their jobs or circumstances have, have changed. Yeah. Do you have any tips on, on how people can eat well um, 
on a budget with no time, basically. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I, I was just actually putting out a book called Gentle Nutrition. And the whole point of that is this idea of crowding in and this concept of just doing the best you can with what you've got where you are and not beating yourself up if you can't afford the organic veggies or you can't afford this, but just try, you know, what can you afford? Well, can you get some frozen veggies? Um, is there a farmer's market down the road where you can get something really cheap? What's in season? You know, looking at rather than, you know, what you think you should be, what can you do like right now? And for everybody, that's going to be different, but there's ways around it. I mean, there are some families where it's really difficult, you know, and we're talking budgets of like $50 a week for food or less, you know, and that, that's a whole different ball game. And in those cases, again, it's just finding what can we do that's maybe a little bit better today than yesterday. Um, maybe it's looking for the sales at the supermarket or maybe it's getting a whole chicken um, when they're on sale and cooking that up and having quite a few meals out of that. But it's that just that idea of what can I do that's better now or today than yesterday and to keep building on that, adding in as opposed to, I need to change my whole diet. I need to, you know, go out and spend bajillions on, mm. um, on food. Just do your best. And I know it sounds so simple and like, duh, but we don't, we do beat ourselves up a lot. Yeah. Well, I guess it's along the, the same lines. It's like, we shouldn't focus too much on not being perfect in what we're doing is the same as emotional eating. It's the yeah. same as, you yeah. know, like feeding our kids the perfect <laughs> foods or yeah. whatever. It's just, yeah, cutting ourselves a bit of slack and just trying yeah, to. Yeah, just be compassionate, eh? I always just talk, you know, make eating a form of self-care, not self-punishment. I know? love that. And just do everything with this idea of I deserve to be taken care of. What can I do to take care of myself today? Whether it be setting boundaries, whether it be, you know, having some organic veggies, whatever it is, but just looking at everything from a form of, you know, what do I want to do? What are my values? So I want to have energy for my kids. So I'm going to eat this or I'm going to try to be a little bit better today. Whatever it may just just take care of yourself. Be compassionate. You know, we are all dealing with lots of stuff. <laughs> and so don't make food another thing on top of your many lists of things that you've got to worry about at the moment. Just do the best you can. Yeah. 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 It's so true. So what about like, do you have any tips or like tricks or little things that you um, can offer to people that might help them become more intuitive with the way they eat? Like, for example, Maddie and I don't have any screens, so no TV or, or our phones while we eat dinner. And that's been great for us. We like have some really good conversations yeah. um, while we do that. Usually the conversations start by us um, critiquing the uh, meal that we've just created <laughs> as if we're food, food critics. Yeah. <laughs> Which is quite fun. Um, yeah, are there any, any yeah. tips and stuff like that? Yeah, that's a, similar at our house because we get one of those, um, you know, meal boxes with the different ready-made meals and stuff. And are not the ready-made ones, the ones you make yourself. And we always rate them because, you know, what's this one out of five? And, you know, <laughs> I don't have to take too much offense because I didn't create it. But, you know, yeah. that's our big thing. I mean, like you said, trying to remember to not have the, the phone around. If you have kids, you can make it into a game. You can say, um, let's see, you know who can be the most mindful, who can um, catch the other one doing some, you know, checking their phone or whatever and bring family into it. Mm -hmm. um, I often hear like, you know, put your, if you can remember to put your fork down between bites. Um, so oh. it's less of an assembly line sort of thing. Cause That's we're often, one. you're, you've got the food in your mouth, but you're focused on the food on your plate. 
because you're actually thinking oh, about your you're next step. You're always waiting step. for the next one. Oh, my God, I totally do that. So, I'm going to try yeah. that. That's a good one. Yeah, and so actually just paying attention to what's in your mouth and talking to people or whatever and then get another bite and that's sort of taking that automatic sort of assembly line sort of scenario out. So that's a pretty good one. Um, but, yeah, I think just if we can – if you have to lock the phone in the box, like I see those different gadgets you can get where you can actually lock your phone up. Like yeah, for a if you time. need to do that, do it, you know. But again, like it brings so much more, um, you know, the conversation, that community, that catching up with each other, dealing with stuff potentially. All of that doesn't happen when we're not um, eating, you know, mindfully without the distractions. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I love that so much. Like I could pretty much – eat the same breakfast and lunch like every single day. Um, do you think it's better to mix it up as much as you can or like if you have a healthy food that you really enjoy and you feel good, can you just eat that for pretty much five lunches yeah. a week and it You can matter? do whatever you like. No. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> it feels but good. Because <laughs> that's the ultimate thing. Do you feel good, mm. you know? And if you get to a point where maybe, you know, you're, you're lacking in certain vitamins, maybe you need a bit more potassium, well, you might want to throw some bananas in the mix. But, you know, that's not likely if you're still getting variety throughout your day. Yeah. I mean, I have the same – I've had the same exact breakfast every day for probably – three months now I've got this muesli recipe that I really like and I have it every single day but I usually have a different dinner I'm usually sometimes it'll be the same lunch but usually it's leftovers from dinner like Mm. so there's enough variety there I mean you think some people they just eat chicken and broccoli and they don't actually feel very good but (laughs) when we have a bit more variety through the rest of our day yeah you'll be fine okay (laughs) all right I feel better already that's keep eating your your breakfast that you like and when you're tired of it it'll change and you'll get something else yeah it's so true I'm going through a stage where I'm I'm getting quite experimental with our dinners aren't I Mm. Mm. yes it's great I'm enjoying it thoroughly what did did you have last night last night we had uh, tarakihi oh yes yes yep we had pan fried tarakihi tarakihi with like like a stir-fried broccoli and beans with like harissa and oh. um, cumin seeds or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. So good. Yeah, Very some, nice. Yeah, like coconut balsamic dressing yeah. thing. Oh, it was a flavor sensation. You're it so wild. Was. Yeah. <laughs> but we, yeah, yeah, we, we gulped it down. Yeah. yeah we, we're going to put that fork put, down. Yeah. Well, we also put the show on because we didn't have a lot of time because we wanted to get into bed early yeah. and we put yeah. the show on while we ate, which is a big Breaking for rule us. number one. Yes. Oh. Hey, and again, we don't want this to be the mindful eating diet where you start to feel guilty because you put your show on every you're not once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, let it true. go. No guilt, no guilt. No. no. <laughs> um, um, well, should we do final question? Okay, so final question. This is so fitting for this podcast, actually. If you could have three foods and three foods only for the rest of your life, what would they be? Oh, that's an awesome question. I would have pizza. I oh, love pizza. Yeah, well... Is pizza allowed? Because okay. it's a multitude. No, of- oh, we're going to go. It's kind of like single ingredients, oh, pretty I see. much. Okay. Single ingredients. So chocolate's not a single ingredient. Oh, uh, no, we'll allow oh, chocolate. Oh, well, yeah, chocolate. Yeah. Maybe it's going to have like five <laughs> ingredients or less. Oh, How about that? Uh, I, well, you now can get pizza. Chocolate has about five ingredients. Well, it depends. Pizza, pizza, no, because you've got all the ingredients in okay. the dough, then you've got all the ingredients in like the other things. All right, I got it. I got it. Yeah. yeah. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Bread would be one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, what sort of bread? Just like homemade bread. Do I need, does it, because if we get whole wheat, then you get more ingredients, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. You can you oh, can have, like no, you can, you can have whichever type of bread you want. Like this is this okay. is your life we're talking here. Okay. So what, what what's the most delicious so to you? Sa- sourdough bread. I love oh, sourdough yeah, yeah, bread. Okay. Yep. So that'll be on there. Chocolate, if I'm allowed, it would be on there. What sort of chocolate? Uh, I like the dark stuff. Yeah, nice. I like the uh, green and blacks and the new Whitaker's dark chocolates are really good. Oh, yeah. yum. Yep. So I'd have yum. that. I'd have, I really like white rice. So random, but I love white rice. I could totally eat that every day. Okay. Me too. Um, it's one of my favorite foods. Yeah. A little so, bit of salt so, and pepper on mm-hmm. it. So there you go. You've got white rice. You've got sourdough bread and chocolate. Yeah, and strawberries. They'd be up there. No, you're only allowed three. Oh, I thought you said five. No, you're only allowed three. I want to swap my rice for strawberries. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Because are you quite a texture eater? Because I find there's something about rice that the texture is really satisfying. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I've always loved just white rice with salt and pepper and maybe Mm. butter or something. Oh, yeah, butter's good. Or curry sauce. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, mm. I'm getting excited. <laughs> no, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> um, hey, so tell us more about um, how people can follow you or you know check out what you're up to. Maybe or do sign your course. Up to the course. Yeah, and, yeah. W- and when your next book's out. Yeah, so I you can find me at michelleyandel.com, So nice and easy. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of it's just Michelle Yandel Nutrition. And the next book is, it's out on Amazon already. It's the Gentle Nutrition, but we haven't got it in our hands yet. And that was um, published by the people who do the Gratitude Journals, Awesome Inc. Oh, yeah, yes, they we do love beautiful awesome books. Inc. Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. So, um, oh, that's right. I think I've seen a video of you un- unboxing and, and with your, your <laughs> yeah. journal. That's right. Um, yeah, so that'll be out really soon. So just, again, watch my social medias and their social media, and, and that'll be on there. And eight-week course is pretty much, if you want to do it DIY, it's ready to go. And we've got a, a group coaching that's starting in September, so that's um, just starting to fill up now, And but that's still available. And, yeah, just head to my website. I mean, I'd say Instagram and Facebook are probably my biggest platforms i'm not quite a tiktoker yet i think i'm a bit too old for that but i feel the same michelle i, I just don't same. quite understand <laughs> i did my first tiktok the other day on the, on the plane some girl oh. yeah just asked me if i wanted to be in a tiktok oh and i said yeah so we did this like random squat sort of leg movement thing oh. in the so aisle. Random it was very TikToks. random and weird but it was quite fun yeah i feel I, like i could just barely keep up with the social media i've got that i'm like can yeah. i be bothered i don't know no, no hassle no and they do say from a business perspective to stick to two or three that you really like and yeah. that you enjoy and that's it because otherwise you do you get lost in the abyss spread too thin yeah, yeah totally yeah well thanks so much for your time Michelle it was so Thank good you. to see you again that was good Thanks for listening. Thank you indeed. This podcast is brought to you by Raw Collective. And for any updates on our podcast or any of the other podcasts under Raw, head to rawcollective.co or you can follow them on Instagram at raw underscore collective.co. But wait, before you go, please subscribe to our podcast and also rate it and review it. Leave a nice little message and leave a smiley face, maybe an emoji. (laughs) Or tell your friends. It's super easy. It takes two seconds and it would mean so much to us. Bye. Bye.